Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Before I get into my message this morning, I want to tell you all something that happened this past week. A week ago, Friday, I told you all this last Sunday morning, I went to uh, the follow-up from our car accident. For those of you who are new, my wife Nancy and I were in a pretty serious car accident. And a week ago, Friday, I was finally diagnosed with a concussion, and I was told I needed to go to the concussion center. So uh, on Sunday, a woman who at the time, I didn't know her name, I do know her name now, came up to me after worship, after the second worship gathering, and said, I feel like the Lord's telling me to pray for you for your concussion to be healed. And so she prayed for me. And, uh, and so on Monday, I decided, well, I better follow up with this concussion center thing. So I called the number that they gave me, and they said that the next available appointment in St. Margaret's, which you don't have to go, I guess, down to the actual concussion center, but anyway, it's all over the place, was in June. And I said, well, I hope I'm better by June, you know, do you have anything a little sooner? And she said, well, and then she goes, oh, I just had a cancellation down in Oakland. Can you go down there? I said, sure. So 2 o'clock on Monday afternoon, I went down there, and I met with this uh, doctor who, it turns out, you have to wait a year to get to see this guy. Um, But he had a cancellation that day, coincidentally. So I got to see him. So I went in, and after a 45-minute, whatever, consultation and all all these questions and everything, uh, long story short, I hate to make a long story short, but I will because i got to get to my message. Um, He said, you don't have a concussion. Um, So that's pretty cool. So either the medical doctor was wrong on Friday and I didn't have a concussion on Friday, which I don't think is wrong because the way my head was messed up, I'm pretty sure I did. Um, But the guy on Monday said, I don't have a concussion. He said, you're suffering from sleep deprivation, uh, which I hadn't slept really through the night since the accident. Um, So concussion and sleep deprivation apparently have similar symptoms, short-term memory loss, fatigue, all that kind of stuff. So even the sleep deprivation thing, I've had three good nights of sleep this week out of five nights, which that's pretty cool because that's the three first times I've really had full nights of sleep. So thanks to all of you who are praying, especially uh, the lady who I didn't know her name. I know what it is now. I'm giving her a big hug when I see her at second service this morning. But God is faithful and he does heal in different ways. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk, uh, the the question we're going to deal with this morning is, do you want to be healed? That's the name of the message. And uh, I just think it's so cool how God works things out sometimes that even the illustration from my everyday life has to do with what we're talking about today. But in order to uh, illustrate what I'm going to talk about, I need a volunteer. Okay, I sort of rigged this. Would you raise your hand there, Ken? Okay, come on up. All right. And uh, I told Ken part of this stuff, but not all of this stuff. I told him he's going to be sitting on stage for a long time. That was the true part. I didn't tell him I was going to handcuff him while he's sitting there. Okay. So, oh man, here we go. These don't hurt that much. Don't pull them tight because then they will. Let's see here. I want to make sure I can get them off. There you go. All right, so the reason I did that is because we're going to pretend right now. I I know that we all knew how to pretend when we were small. I hope that you can still pretend. We're going to pretend that Ken is in prison. Okay, you see the prison here? He has handcuffs on. That sort of shows he's in prison. And you can't see any walls. Okay, no door, no walls. That's because this prison doesn't have a door or walls because the prison is really in Ken's mind. And the thing that that we all need to know is we're all born in chains and in prison. 
Now, that might seem familiar to you if you were here on Easter Day, because I said that at the time I was wearing the handcuffs. If you were here on Easter Day and I said we were all born in chains, and so today Ken not only has chains on, but he's in prison. And the prison is a prison that was caused by our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect life, a life of perfect freedom, perfect love. Everything was perfect because God and Adam and Eve were in a personal relationship. God actually came and talked with them every day. It had to be an awesome thing to be like that. But, but there was a serpent who uh, it says was the shrewdest of all the animals. That's because uh, the, the serpent actually is, is the devil. And the devil came along and the devil convinced Adam and Eve there was something better than perfection. And that something better was being God, being like God. They already were like God, but they would be in control. And so uh, because they decided they wanted to have their will instead of God's will, they ended up in prison, the prison of sin. And that prison has a, 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 another prison that goes with it, the prison of death. And, and the prison of sin doesn't actually have walls. So that's why Ken is sitting there without walls. But I, I wanted the handcuffs to represent you know, the, the, the actuality. This is a real prison we're talking about. It's not imaginary. It's just that it's, it's caused by our disobedience to God. Now, here's the thing. People think that if you follow God, you're going to be in prison. You're going to have to do what he wants you to do. And so you're going to sort of be, you know, these boundaries are, are limiting. But Jesus said it's something very amazing during his life on earth. He said this. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, true freedom isn't doing whatever we want. And you can ask anybody who's in the prison of addiction right now and they know what I'm talking about. Because if you've ever been addicted to anything or anyone, then you know that you chose to do something that seemed like it was freeing you up, but it ends up you're in prison. And, and so what we're going to talk about today is how to get free of this prison that we actually make through our, sometimes just through our own minds, but through our life. And, and I, I want you to understand, when God sets us free, we will have boundaries. We won't have walls, but we'll have boundaries. And, and I'm going to just take an example from everyday life to show you what I'm talking about. Back when I was in my second year of seminary, many, many years ago... My in-laws came to visit us, and, and Lee and Margaret Fairman, Nancy's parents, uh, wonderful people, and Lee, though, he was always really pretty direct. Lee never got around to calling me by my first name, even though he knew me for a really long time before he died a couple years ago. It was always Marshall. So he came, you know, they were there for, I don't know, a day or two, and finally we're sitting in a chair, you know, and Lee looks at me, he goes, Marshall, looks like you're putting on some weight. I was like, oh, thanks, Lee. You know, I mean, I wasn't really happy that he said that. So I, I went into the bathroom and I got on the scale. And sure enough, he was right. I remembered, oh, I forgot what he said. He didn't just say you're putting on some weight. He said, when you've been in the ministry for 10 years, you're going to weigh 250 pounds. So I went in, I got on the scale, and I remembered how much I weighed when I started seminary. I looked at how much I weighed then. I did the math, and Lee was wrong. When I was in the ministry for 10 years, I was going to weigh 270 pounds. You see, when I, uh, when I started seminary, actually before I started seminary, I had the freedom to eat anything I wanted. You know why? Because there were boundaries in my life called hard physical labor and exercise. 
I was a carpenter, so five or six days a week I was out working eight to ten hours a day, and that would, you know, burn off a lot of calories. And then in my free time, I played basketball, volleyball, you know, uh, fast pitch softball, you get the idea. So I could really eat whatever I wanted, I was free to eat whatever I wanted, and then uh, the boundaries of physical exercise and physical labor kept me, you know, fairly, you know, easy, good weight. Well, then I went to seminary. And uh, the boundaries of physical labor and exercise were taken away. I had the freedom to eat anything I wanted, but now I was sitting on my butt all day listening to professors talk about stuff I really didn't need to learn. Um, and that's because I was, never mind, I won't go there. That's another sermon for another day. But I just started gaining weight. And Lee was right. I was headed in the direction of 270 pounds in 10 years. And the interesting thing is, before Lee came, I had always gone out to our bedroom window. There was a, when I'd look out the bedroom window, there was a golf course behind our apartment complex. And I would see these people jogging along, you know, and I'd always go, wow, when I look like that guy, I'm going to start jogging, you know. And so after Lee went home, I went out and bought a pair of running shoes. Uh, and actually, I started jogging. But anyway... See the point? The point is, we all know this. You know, we have the freedom to eat anything we want, really, in this country. I mean, not so much if you live in some other places, but we can go to the refrigerator and get whatever we want. We can go to, you know, Sam's Club and buy it in bulk. We can eat whatever we want. We're free to do that. But if we do that and we don't have the boundary of physical um, work or exercise, then our weight's just going to go up. Or, or what would probably be more sensible is eat sensibly and exercise sensibly, and then our weight will stay the same. Or we could do what I was doing in seminary, and actually what I was doing for most of the last month since I couldn't exercise because of the car accident, eating, you know, freely, and then watching the little needle on the scale go, right? Because freedom without limits always yields to either unhealthy uh, life, a sinful life, or, or actually death. And, and so here we are today, we're going to talk about an interaction that Jesus had with a guy um, who was unhealthy. In the truest sense of the word, he was unhealthy. And Jesus has this interaction with him as we, we find it in John chapter 5. And Jesus frees the man from the prison that he was in, which was a physical prison, actually. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I want you to think just for a minute. I, I usually do this at the end of the message, but I'm going to do it right now. I want you to think for a minute of any false ideas that you might be having. Because here's today's take-home point. Sometimes the chains that bind us are our own false ideas. Sometimes the chains that bind us are our own false ideas. I want you to think about any false ideas that you have in your life right now that are causing you to be in bondage. Any false ideas right now. They might be ideas about you know, what you're doing isn't really hurting anybody. What you're doing isn't really hurting you. Um, what you're doing is because, you know, of some past experience you've had and you can't really change. All of these kind of things. So just take a moment and think about that. Because the truth of the matter is, most of us, even though we would say we don't, we believe in magic. We, believe, we think we, you know, we don't, we don't think we do, but we do. Because here's the thing. Don't raise your hand right now. But how many of you at some point in your life have been waiting for that pill to come out? You know the one where you take it before you eat or after you eat, and then you can eat whatever you want and, won't, you know, and your weight will stay the same? Anybody ever been waiting for that pill? Okay, I, I know everybody does. That's not going to ever come. I mean, it might come out even if it does. It won't be good for you. You know how come it won't be good for you? Because discipline is a very important part of the physical life and spiritual life. Anyway, think about any false ideas that are holding you in prison. Just like Ken. Ken's sitting there. I don't know why he's sitting there. There's no walls, you know. But he's sitting there. I mean, he probably wants the handcuffs off, and I will take the handcuffs off eventually. But, uh, you know, he could leave right now, right? 
Right. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for sending Jesus to free us from the most powerful prisons of all, from sin and death. And I pray in this moment that you will open each of our hearts to ourselves. God, let us see the false ideas, the false beliefs, the lack of truth that is holding us prisoner. God, for those in the room who have never trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, as the one and only one who can free us from the prisons that bind us, I pray today will be the day they recognize that you have removed the chains and torn down the prison walls. I pray each one may walk out of this room today free. God, for those of us for whom you are truly God in our lives, I pray you will simply let us see you with your eyes. Experience the truth that your boundaries are not prisons and that our leftover sins are the prisons. God, whether we're in a prison of addiction to a substance, to a person, to pornography, to gambling, or anything else, whether our improper beliefs regarding our physical, emotional, or spiritual well-being are keeping us locked up, whether we have bought our culture's lie that true freedom is doing whatever we want and thus find ourselves imprisoned in pursuing godless plans and purposes, we pray that right now you will free us. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, with your truth that has and does and always will set us free. God, as we read Jesus' interaction with a paralyzed man, Please show us where we are paralyzed and what we need to do today to receive the freedom of your amazing grace and that we may receive it new and fresh in our lives this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, I guess that won't work unless you have a really strong internet. I mean, uh, what's it called? I don't know what it's called. I'm not into that stuff. On your phone that makes you be able to, you know, get the internet. Whatever it is, 4G, I don't know, 3G, I don't know. Anyway, unless you have that, you're not going to be able to get your Bible app today. John chapter 5, it'll be up on the screen. John chapter 5 is an interaction between Jesus and a paralyzed man. So let's look what happens. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. Okay, one, we're going to stop right there because we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to take a couple of little verses at a time and then we're going to reflect on them. And I would encourage you in your daily Bible reading, that's a good thing to do. You know, read a couple of verses and then just pause and say, God, what, what does this mean? What does it mean for me today? What do I need to do? Because that's a very good way to get the Bible into us so that it isn't just Bible getting into us, but it actually can start to come out of us. We can live it out in our daily lives. Anyway, what John tells us is that the holiday or holy day wasn't important. Otherwise, he would have said it was Passover. It was Pentecost. It was the Feast of Weeks. He doesn't say that. He says one of the holy days. They went into Jerusalem. What was important was where they went. They went to this special place near the Sheep Gate. It was the Pool of Bethesda or Bethsaida, depending on which translation of the Bible you have. And uh, we're told that crowds of sick people lay there. Now, why would crowds of sick people be in one place? That didn't make sense in Jesus' day because, you see, if you were this kind of sick, you were blind or you were paralyzed, you were, were lame, you legally could beg because that's the only way you could make a living. And if you were all gathered in one place, then, you know, there's less money to go around. You would want to have your own unique place. But they're all gathered in one place. Because they believed something. And here's what they believed. This is not in most of the, you know, the major manuscripts. I don't know if you know this, but the, the Greek Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek. And the Greek Bible, there are some, or some manuscripts that have the whole New Testament 
And there are some that just have parts of the New Testament. There are some that just have books of the Bible. Some just, just have chapters. In any case, the best manuscripts don't have these next verses, but I think they should be there, and you'll see why. It says this. It's verse 3 and a half and, and 4. Waiting for a certain movement of the water. That's why they were there. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. So you see, these people were all gathered in one place because they believed that there was an angel who would come and get in the pool and stir up the water. And the first person in afterwards would be healed, physically healed. And so that's why they were there. And you could say maybe that isn't what was going on, but that's at least what they believed because otherwise there's no reason for this many, you know, paralyzed and blind people to be in one place. And then it says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. He'd been lying there for 38 years, paralyzed for 38 years. Imagine that. Can you imagine what it would be like for 38 years to lie on a mat waiting to get into a pool that you thought would bring you healing? What, what did he do for, for 38 years? Well, what, what do prisoners do? Prisoners cry, I think. Prisoners think about what could have been. Prisoners think about what might be like once they get on the outside. I mean, I imagine that guy thought every day, wow, when I get in that pool, I'm going to be able to walk. And then my life is going to be whole once again. And sometimes, you know, they give up hope. I don't know if I'm ever going to get in the pool. And then they get hope back again because, I mean, you have to have hope to continue living your life. And some of, uh, of you right here this morning may have been in prison for a long time. You know, the prison without walls. And you may have been wondering, am I ever going to be free? And so it says when Jesus saw him, Jesus saw this guy who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And when he knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Some translations read, do you want to be healed? Now, that seems like an insensitive question, doesn't it? This guy's been there for 38 years. Do you think he wants to get well? I mean, 38 years he's been lying there, and, and actually I've pictured Jesus. I mean, all of these people need to, to get well. All of them need to be healed. They're blind or they're paralyzed or something's wrong with them, and they're waiting to be healed. And Jesus, did he have to walk around, you know, a blind person and a, another paralyzed person to get to this person? Couldn't he have just put his hands on all of them? They all would have been healed? Well, obviously, that's not, that wasn't the point. The point was, this particular one, Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Do you want the chains to be taken off? Hey, do you want to be free? Okay, there's a good answer. He said, sure, so I'm going to free him. All right. I think I am. I never tried this before. That's a, I did, actually. I tried it last night. We had somebody here last night. There you go. I think that's working. Okay, one's free. That's it. There you go. So you're free. All right, see what he did? He left. Same thing the guy did last night. I didn't know if they'd leave. I mean, I, they were free, but do you always leave when you're free? I mean, that's the, that's the real question that we're looking at this morning. He could, actually, he could have left a long time ago. He just would have had handcuffs on. But now he's totally free. Now, that isn't what happened with the guy when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed or do you want to be freed? If you, if you look in the next verse, what it says is, I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. I can't. 
He, he didn't even answer Jesus' question. You know, Jesus' question was, do you want to be healed? The, the question wasn't, I can't, or the answer wasn't, I can't. The answer is yes or no. Either I want to be healed or I don't want to be healed. But the guy couldn't even think about the answer. All he could think about is, there's only one way I can be healed. And you know, that's the problem. So many times we think, well, I just need to do this, or I just need to do that, or I just need to do the next thing. And the answer was staring the guy in the face. Jesus, the son of the living God, was there. All he had to do was say yes. But he said, I can't. Because the only way I know to get out of this mess is to get in the pool, and nobody will put me in, and somebody always gets there first. And that's the same situation that we have. Have you ever wondered in your life why that person gets to have joy in their life, and I don't? Have you ever wondered, why does that, I mean, that person, I mean, why did Chris get his concussion taken away? I don't know the answer to that question, you know. Why do I pray and nobody answers my prayers, and then this person prays and their prayers are always answered? Why is it like that? And, and maybe sometimes what we don't realize is physical healing is of some benefit. But you know what? My concussion's gone, but I'm still going to die someday. That guy got, I mean, if you read ahead, you're going to find out the guy's getting healed, right? He got physically healed, but he still died someday. Even Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he still died again someday. So there's, there's no getting out of this life alive unless Jesus comes back before we die. So the most important healing that that man received and the most important healing that any of us can receive is not physical healing. The most important, the most important healing we can receive is spiritual healing. You see, the man was lying in the presence of the living God who had the power to free him, not just from his physical bondage, but from spiritual bondage. And all he could say is, I can't. He, he didn't see that he could just say yes and receive it. And, and the thing is, the question, do you want to be healed, is a haunting question. Because some of us in here are, have been in bondage just like that guy for a year or 10 years or 20 years. Something happened in our past. And we've been fixated on that something for all the rest of our lives. And maybe it was someone that we loved who died. Or maybe it was someone that we loved that we wanted to be married to. But they're not here anymore. And they, or they, they rejected us. Or who knows what it is. But whatever it is, Jesus is standing right in front of us this morning saying, Do you want to be healed? And we can say, I can't because I have an answer and it isn't working. And, and last week we talked about how unforgiveness will keep us in prison. And there are so many things that keep us in prison, but Jesus is waiting to get us out. And when I talk about healing this morning, as I said, I'm not specifically talking about physical healing, although that's part of it. But think about this. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men of faith who ever lived, was given a, a thorn in the flesh, a physical impediment, we believe. And he asked God, heal me. And God said, no. So Paul's a man of faith, so he doesn't give up easy. He says, heal me. And God says, no. And so God, uh, Paul says again, hey, you know, I've laid hands on people and I've seen them be healed. I mean, this guy fell out a window and he was dead. And in your name, I raised him back to life. Can't you just take this little pain away from me? And here's what God says to him. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. You see, we've been talking about God's amazing grace for these four weeks, haven't we? And we've been talking about how it transforms our lives. Lost people get found. And what is God's grace? God's grace is unmerited favor. And we can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. But when we receive it, what we think is that we won't have any boundaries. 
And sometimes we still do. And actually, we always have some boundaries. The boundaries of God's truth. The boundaries of God's, you know, God's response in our life. And, and what Paul found out is what he thought was the best thing for him would be physical health. From, uh, you know, deliverance from this, this bondage of this, this thorn in his side. Whatever it was. And, and Paul says this, after God says no three times and says, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, so now, th- listen to this, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, sometimes God does set us free from our prisons through incredible physical healings, incredible emotional healings, incredible spiritual healings. But sometimes, for whatever reason, God lets us endure those physical pains and emotional pains and even spiritual pain. And either way, the chains are removed, the walls are gone, if and only if we continue to trust in God's amazing grace. So God's amazing grace can do anything. It can do anything. And there are times when when he delivers us from the bondage of physical ailments and and physical disease and physical prisons. And sometimes he delivers us from emotional things. And, And always he will deliver us from spiritual things, but maybe not in the way that we expected. And so what happens in the actual event that Jesus is interacting with this paralyzed guy, Jesus doesn't wait for him to get with the program. He says this, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Notice how long it took, instantly. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Wow, how incredible would that be to have this kind of, 38 years, and he's free. He stands up and he's walking around. Well, we can know. Because whether we get physical healing or whether we don't, whether we get emotional healing or whether we don't, what it says in God's word is that we can experience freedom. And that freedom is eternal. We're going to find that out in a, in a minute. But, but it's, it's very important for us to understand that when the man stood up, he was free physically. He rolled up his mat and walked. In, and, and Jesus sees whatever prison we're in. And he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? And he gives us a response that's best for us. That's best for us. And, and we might think we know, and we always think we know what's best for us. I mean, Adam and Eve did. Look how that worked for them. You know, we always think we know what's best for us. But God is the only one who really knows what's best for us. God's will is always best for our lives. But the end of this account is rather sad. Here's what happens next. It says this miracle happened on the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. The Jews were not allowed to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And they had twisted around God's law, which was intended to restore people and made it into something that was a religion. And it says this. So the Jew, Jewish leaders objected. See, they saw this guy walking around carrying his mat. And they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the, that sleeping mat. The Jewish law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. And the guy's looking at him going, are you crazy? I haven't been able to walk for 38 years. And I'm walking around. The guy who healed me told me to carry my mat. I'm going to carry my mat. You see, the man had a, it might only have been this much of a relationship with Jesus, but it was this much of a relationship that had restored him to physical health. And so when the religious guys come along and say, don't you know you can't carry that mat? He's like, I don't care. I don't care what your rules say. Because 
I have this relationship with this guy who, who gave me my legs back. You see, religion always has rules. Religion always has traditions. And, and there's nothing wrong with rules and traditions if they set boundaries that bring health and wholeness to our lives. In fact, God has many for us. But the rules and traditions that are there to point fingers. In fact, the, the interesting thing is the guy says this. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Of course the guy is going to listen to what Jesus said next after he's able to walk. And, and so the, the guy is not so concerned. He didn't even know Jesus' name, actually, at that time. It, it's interesting. Jesus didn't tell him who he was. He just healed him, and the guy went out. And then people, religious people see him, and they're pointing fingers like, hey, you're breaking the law. Who, who, who told you to break the law? Because they want to find somebody that's guilty for breaking the law. And, and so... Um, then whenever he says, the guy told me, they asked the question, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. So religion is always looking for that person to point their finger at. You know, you're not doing it the right way. If you don't do it the right way, then the fact that you can walk is beside the point. Is it beside the point for a guy who's been sitting there lying on a mat for 38 years and all of a sudden he can walk? I don't think anything's beside the point. For that guy, he's going, I don't know what you think about this man who healed me, but I think he has to be a good guy. He has to be somebody that's doing God's will because is God going to honor somebody that's not doing his will? And, and we don't know what the conversation was, but here's what we do know. Afterward, Jesus found the man again, the healed man in the temple, and he told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. The man who went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Do Jesus' last words to this guy seem odd to you? You're well, so stop sinning or something worse will happen. Now, wait a minute. This guy's been lying there for 38 years on a mat doing nothing. How can you sin in that situation? Pretty easy, actually. It's pretty easy to lie there and just in your mind. And there's all kinds of sins that take place in our mind, right? And especially since Jesus said it's our heart and mind, really. Where sin takes place. I mean, the, the body carries out the sin, but if your body can't carry out the sin, you can still sin in your mind and your heart. And so Jesus is telling this guy, now that you've been healed, now that you've been restored, now that you're whole, you need some boundaries. Because if you don't have the boundaries, something worse could happen. Now, wait a minute. What could be worse than lying on a mat for 38 years not being able to do anything? Well, I can picture a few things. One of the things would be hell. I don't know if Jesus is talking about hell. But I, I do know that sometimes we get a temporary freedom or healing and, and we think, oh, now I can go do whatever I want. It's the I mean, we go back to the same worldly idea that we had before. I've had this restriction and now I don't. And maybe because the guy could walk, I mean, could you get in more trouble if you're able to walk than if you can't? Huh, I guess so. And so, Jesus is caring about what? The man's eternal well-being. He's saying, there's something worse than lying on a mat for 38 years. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you might experience it. And he makes it pretty clear, just stop sinning. Okay? So, here we are. As we live our lives, what is the prison of our own false ideas that we're sitting in a chair with handcuffs on and we can go anytime we want to. What is the prison in our lives 
that we're waiting for Jesus to set us free, or maybe we're coming up with our own ideas that haven't worked for 38 years or you know, 10 years or 5 years, but we're still waiting. What is it? And, and the thing is, the question that Jesus asked the, the paralyzed man, he's still asking. Do you want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? Do we want to walk out of the prisons that we've been locked into because of sin? Because that's really the, that's really the prison that kills us, not just physically, but spiritually and eternally. Do we want to be free from that? Now, I'm not talking, I'm not talking to you. If you know Jesus, you're going to heaven when you die. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus and you're in the room today, um, Jesus is saying, you need me. I'm the answer. Whatever prison you've been in, I'm the answer. I can free you. And I'm the only answer. My amazing grace is, is the thing that will give you the life that's truly life. And right now you can say, yes, Jesus, come in. Unlock the chains that have bound me for my whole life. Take over. Give me the freedom that comes from knowing your truth. Let me live in your boundaries instead of my boundaries. The rest of us, we already have that. But the funny thing is, just like Ken sat there for half the sermon, right? And he was free to go any moment. We sit. We're locked up. And, and you know, one of the things that, that I, I watched a movie a long time ago, and in the movie there was this old lady, and she told this young kid, you have to L-I-V-E, live. And I've always remembered that little line because most of us don't. We like L-I-V-E, sort of live. Because we're in prison. And we're free. So here's today's commitment. I will live as one who wants to be healed this week. Do you see what that says? I will live as one who wants to be healed this week. When the devil starts lying to us and says, you know, you're locked up in this prison and you're never getting out. The first thing, if we know Jesus, we can say, I'm already out. <laughs> I'm already, you're the one. I mean, who's the one who's going to be locked up forever? The devil. He is going to be locked up forever. We're not. If we know Jesus. So why are we sitting in prison with our handcuffs on when Jesus freed us? We don't know what happened to the man, do we? That's the, that's the interesting thing about so many of the people that Jesus touched during his earthly ministry. We don't know if five years later that guy was dead. We don't know if he was sinning. We don't know if he was, you know, following Jesus. We don't know. And I think there's a reason for that. Because we don't know what's going to be happening to us five years from now either. Unless we do. What do I mean by that? I mean, if we let Jesus set us free, we are what? Free indeed. If we know the truth and we live the truth, then we'll be free indeed. When somebody says to me, Chris, do you know what's going to happen in the future? I say no and yes. No, I don't know. You know, people are always saying to me, when do you think the economy is going to crash? I don't know. When do you think we're going to have World War III? I don't know. When do you think Jesus is coming back? I don't know. Do you think you're going to have a victorious life? Yes. You see? The answer to that question is simple. If Jesus is in charge of our life, we're free. If he's not, we're not. We'll be in prison and it won't be fun. Here and now and, and then forever. But if Jesus is in charge of our lives, when he says, do you want to be healed? Yes. And we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. For this interaction between Jesus and the man who could walk. He's not a paralyzed man. He can walk. And God, I, I thank you that we 
are able to walk in your spirit day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, till you return. God, we don't know what the future will bring except that it will bring you. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, but we do know that with you in it, we are free. And so, God, my prayer today for each of us, especially for those who came in in the prison of unbelief, that you will free us and that we will come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord in our life. And if we already do, that we will live in the freedom that he died and rose again to give us. God, pour your spirit out upon us. And I do pray for physical, spiritual, emotional healing for every person in this room. And I pray, God, that we might walk out today as free people, freer than any law could ever make us, freer than any government could ever determine, freer than anything, because the freedom will give us the life that's truly life today and into eternity. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.